Hello and welcome to Ninefin, a podcast on all things leverage finance. We follow corporate debt from issuance to redemption and all credits from performing to distressed and everything in between. Today I'm joined by our senior distressed analyst Emic McNally and credit analyst Hazik Siddiqui to talk about our special report that we've recently produced on German real estate. But first, before we go into that, I'd like to provide a little bit of background. Uh, myself and Emmett have been spending a lot of time over the last couple of years delving into the German real estate sector. It all really started from the Viceroy Research Source Seller Report on Adler in late 2021. And since then, the sector has come under significant pressure with questions over governance, related party transactions and inflated asset valuations. And in the last year, this arguably has accelerated with the collapse of CoreState. We've seen Adler go through an extensive refinancing and restructuring via UK restructuring plan. And we've also seen uh, another company, Aggregate, losing a number of key assets to its creditors. Um, we've also seen prices of German real estate bonds trading at distressed levels. And those which do have listed equity are now trading at significant discounts to their net asset value. So while it's unlikely these borrowers will return to the European high yield market, are some actually being overtly punished by the actions of their peers? Um, is there value to be had for opportunistic investors? And also, how should we be analysing these companies? So it was against this backdrop that I sat down with Emmett and Hazik in June and suggested that we could pile a sector report on German real estate. And then the resultant 39-page edition is a triumph, I believe, and is well belong beyond the sort of initial expectations of mine in terms of when we were thinking about producing the report. Um, we only have a short period of time. The report is very extensive, but in this podcast, we'll try and give a taster of the sort of contents of the, of the report. So I suppose the first thing, uh, Emmett, is just really to sort of talk about the sector as a whole and sort of how distressed is the sector. Um, and, you know, can you just give us a bit of an overview in terms of um, the level of distress? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you touched on it, Chris, in your intro, that pretty much every bond in German real estate is trading in distressed levels. That, per our definition, is a spread to worst or spread to maturity above 12%. And so we covered nine companies in this report, and all of their high-yield bonds are trading above that mark, apart from DIC assets, 2023 SUNs, which are trading to call. Um, to give a sort of a sample of how distressed it is. The least yielding asset or the least yield, sorry, least yielding bond right now is Peach Properties, uh, 300 million of 2025s, which are yielding 16.8%, which is a spread of about 13.7% and a cash price of 77. And in terms of German real estate and its placement within the high yield bond market, Despite only comprising 3% of the current European high yield market by volume, that is at issuance volume, real estate bonds make up 12.6% of bonds trading above an 8% spread to maturity, sorry, by volume, and 16.1% of bonds by number of bonds. Uh, thank you, Emmett. I, I suppose one of the things that we'd like to touch on first here is the the supposed issues regarding governance and sort of some of the short seller reports. Emmett, can you just sort of briefly just give us an overview of the um, the main issues that we've seen regarding governance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the short seller reports, we've seen one on Core State, we've seen one on Adler, which was the big one, like you said in your intro, Chris. We've also more recently seen one on Vivian and also more broadly, I think, those short seller reports have put a spotlight on, let's say, questionable governance and also 
these figures in the background of some of these companies that have um, storied histories. Um, in my view, some of the investigations and governance concerns will be less relevant to creditors unless there is a direct impact or implication for asset values or recoveries. Realistically, for creditors, it's very difficult to predict or speculate on what investigations will amount to. And truthfully, there is a history of them culminating in very little. For instance, Chedbet Kanner, the figure behind Adler and Aggregate Holdings, was acquitted of fraud charges against him related to the infamous Wirecard, while René Benko, the man behind the Cigna complex, Cigna development of which is a subsidiary, was acquitted of bribery charges in January of this year. Adler investigations, of course, have rumbled on for some time now, and though there was a recent sting, for want of a better phrase, um, nothing concrete yet has transpired. And, you know, in terms of credit implications, there hasn't yet been very marked implications. Yeah, I think that's sort of quite a good segue to sort of think about, you know, how do we actually value sort of real estate companies? I know there's been a lot of talk about the effect on real estate from rising interest rates and sharply rising interest rates and how that sort of feeds through into something that we, we call cap rates and also how um, you know how levered are some of these businesses and we look at sort of LTV. So I think I'd, it's a good point now to pass over to Hazik and if you can sort of go into a little bit uh, in terms of how you think, um, you know, how this affects evaluations of the assets and, you yeah. know, in terms of, you know, how we can sort of pick those apart and whether we can actually believe the numbers that are, are being, uh, you know, being, be, being posted by these companies. Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, I guess uh, risk profile for development projects are substantially higher than yielding portfolio companies. Uh, and the number one risk factor here is that higher construction cost and the risk of inflation overruns. So higher rates and construction costs have made these development projects substantially more expensive off late. Uh, sales price, on the other hand, have fallen, leading to delays and uh, a complete halt in new construction projects. Uh, Cigna in its earnings call reported that construction cost in 2022 went up for each of its segments but selling price improved only for the residential segment. Uh, so it is important to note uh, that these pure play developers with large uh, or, or companies with large development portfolios may have some rent generating properties as well to support liquidity given cash realization is often stretched with uh, development projects. And uh, to, to sort of mitigate this, uh, companies try to let out certain units or certain parts of the development property to support cash flows. Or you can have companies like Aggregate Holdings, which held 26 or 27% stake in Adler Group and received a dividend from the yielding real estate portfolio. And as as development borrowers face more pressure and uh, like face pressure from increasing costs, there's also every likelihood that greater lender protection can be sought, which may facilitate a, a smoother enforcement in the event of default or breach of contractual terms. So we have seen this for aggregates QH track asset taken over by lenders. We have seen this for aggregates Portugal subsidiary, Portuguese subsidiary VIC properties. Uh, we saw a similar stronger lender protection structure in Accentro's amend and extend transaction where lenders sort of had uh, voting uh, uh, like share share rights over the intermediate hold cause of Accentro. Uh, and another thing to add here is that property devaluation uh, is also higher in development portfolio companies. So yielding portfolio companies generate rental income, which is still on the rise in Germany due to indexations and strong tenant demand. 
this maintains a good stream of net operating income and offsets the inflation bur burden on that and sort of mitigates their impact of rising cap rates. Okay, uh, Emmett, do you have anything else to add on the sort of the development portfolio side? I just wanted to go back to um, the points you both raised about um, the suitability of the high yield markets to the companies covered in this report. So it's already clear that the market is prohibitively expensive for companies with straight play, let's say, yielding companies such as Demeyer and Vivian. And those in isolation or, you know, that group of companies with yielding portfolios are already facing their own challenges, which are, you know, they're attempting to resolve with a combination of asset sales and additional secure debt because unsecured bond markets are just not an option right now. Then there's a whole other subset of companies like Cigna, which are development assets. And for me, there's a question mark around whether or not um, public unsecured bond markets, wherever the right markets for that those companies to tap um it for me it intuitively feels more like an equity story when there's considerable development risk obviously stage of completion will be a factor and if if a development asset sorry asset is close to completion the development risk it decreases but for early stage development um i think it's either an equity story or a secured debt um story and i say secured debt as opposed to unsecured debt because as hazik alluded to in his um, remarks, secured debt lenders will be more specialized, they can offer more bespoke packages, and also they get better protection. So what we've seen recently is part of the collateral package offered to secure lenders is a share pledge over a hold co of the um, development asset SPV. And in the case of a breach of contractual terms or an event of default, the means of acceleration are very straightforward. You accelerate on your share pledge and you know you effectively take control of the asset. Um, that obviously brings with it equity risk. It brings with it development risk. You're taking on the development risk. Um, and you know with the likes of Oak Tree and QH Track, that's something they'll have to contend with. But nonetheless, you know if there is equity upside there, you're entitled to. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think you know funding development assets and sort of single digit yields um, for, for by European high yield, I think is uh, you know it's, it's the wrong sort of risk reward. So I suppose the the key question here is about triggers. You know we're seeing quite a significant downturn in terms of transactions and valuations in German real estate, but you know can sort of companies ride this out? Do they have significant sort of breathing space and room to do so, or you know are we seeing sort of significant maturities which are coming up, which is going to make that difficult? Uh, Emmett, can you just give us a bit of a flavour in terms of how important maturity walls are? Yeah, well, I, I think I agree. It's it's definitely the most fundamental and key question right now. We've already seen three companies succumb to their respective maturity walls: Acentro, Adler, and Core State. Um, Adler and Accentro are effectively in partial or full wind down now and, you know, their respective restructurings bought the time necessary to try and dispose of assets to fund redemptions, though the risk is increasing that there isn't liquidity there in the market to buy assets and to fund asset disposals and therefore, you know, there's every chance that these companies run into another um, situation, run into another challenge in addressing maturity walls that were pushed out to 24, 25, 26. Um, the other company I mentioned was Core State. I think that business model has proven to be sort of broken. Um, bondholders in that restructuring came out quite, you know, heavily impaired. They equitized the majority of their 
principal and in return took over 80% of the equity. There is one company, Aggregate Holdings, which in my mind now is a special sit. And as far as I'm concerned, it has crumbled or is crumbling. Um, I say that because, as Zeke said earlier this year, it lost its 100% subsidiary VIC properties to lenders after it was unable to fulfill a convertible bond put option redemption that was triggered in May last year. Um, and then more recently, Oaktree enforced on the aggregate's last remaining quality asset, QH Track, after it had provided uh, $260 million of financing in the middle of last year, uh, collateral for which was a share pledge over the asset. And recently, Oaktree has enforced on that share pledge and taken the asset from um, aggregate. So aggregate is left with very little tangible asset value. It still has a development asset called Forced, which it bought from Vivian in late 2021. But there's also a lot of um, hair and sort of history with that credit, which I won't go into. But, um, you know, it, it's also it doesn't look like a very healthy credit, healthy asset right now. Um, and then in terms of companies with maturity walls coming between 2023 and 26, um, there's sort of diverging visibility into strategies to address those. So we have two companies, Vivian and Peach Properties, which only report semi-annually, and therefore we're not very um, up-to-date on what their strategies are because the last time they reported was FY22, whereas other companies, Demire, DIC Asset, Cigna, they reported Q1 earnings recently, so we have a view on what's happening there. So, for instance, Cigna has opted to sell the majority of their yielding portfolio, um, and I guess there are question marks around Cigna whether or not it's going to use the proceeds from that to fund its large now pretty much, you know, the rest of its portfolio is development assets, whether it's going to use funds from the sale of its yielding assets to fund development, or if it will also um, ring fence some of the proceeds to repay 2026 green bonds, SUMs. Um, the Meyer has been an active seller now for the best part of, let's say, nine or 12 months. It recently hit a hiccup with its log park asset in Leipzig, but that's supposedly back on the market. And it looks like Tamir is kind of ramping up to try and get to a place where it doesn't need to come back to the market. And the last company I said was DIC Asset. That raised secured financing in Q123 from the syndicated loan market to address 2023 maturities. There's still a bit of a hurdle to overcome for them in 2024. So really the strategies are um, asset sales where possible, Asset sales are currently suiting smaller players better with smaller individual assets they can sell because there's liquidity there for those. There's, there's been a dearth of large transactions for now, well, in you know, 16 months, 18 months, um, whereas small transactions are still happening. And like I said, secured debt. Um, companies turning to secure debt capacity to replace unsecured debt with, with additional secured debt. That comes with its own set of uh, constraints, challenges, headwinds, those being contractual and commercial. So very briefly, as Zeke alluded to earlier, there are typically increase-based covenants on, well, unsecured bonds certainly, but also I imagine a lot of the time on secured loans as well. We don't get as much visibility into secured loans, but we do fortunately from Vivian's EMTN prospectus at the tail end of last year, they gave insight into um. German secured lending loans that they have, um, which have pretty restrictive, in particular, uh, interest coverage ratio covenants. So interest coverage is uh, a floor be below which you cannot go. 
Um, and given where co current costs of debt are, so from companies we looked at in the report, um, they're paying anywhere between 1.7 times to two and a half times incumbent unsecured costs of debt to raise new secure debt, not like for like debt, to raise secure debt to take out unsecured debt. So what that looks like is if you're raising secure debt at two times your current costs of debt, that halves your interest coverage ratio. So any ostensible capacity there may be right now to raise secure debt, whether that be low secured LTVs, you know, high unencumbered asset ratios, what may prove to be the most restrictive covenants if they apply to secured lending documents or, or agreements could be interest coverage ratios because cost of debt multiples are so elevated right now. And then finally, the last challenge in terms of trying to raise secure debt is, is there market liquidity there? Anecdotally, we know lenders are pulling back from secure lending market. The capital there is tightening. And also lenders that are still sorry, participating are more inclined to go for quality assets in prime locations. Um, and then alongside that, you know, the level at which they're prepared to um, lend at, we're seeing that sort of the, the market is sort of 50% LTV ratios, whereas before it might have been 60%, 65%. So that limits it. And then also on a, on, on a regulation side of things, um, not, sorry, bank lenders still dominate the German real estate, or sorry, real estate market in Europe in general with, 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 with regards to secured lending. However, new legislation coming into effect in 2023 is going to change that landscape a little bit because it's going to force banks to move from internal ratings-based approaches, which determine their capital allocation requirements to a more structured and more um, prescribed way of defining risk profiles, which more aligns to what happens already in the UK and in the US. Now, the European Banking Authority estimates that this change in legislation could lead to a total capital shortfall of 125 billion as banks retrench in response to tightening capital retention requirements. Okay. Um, I suppose the next thing to think about is, you know, valuations. I know there's been sort of question marks about some of the sort of valuations sort of you know, uh, historically, but do we think that given that the sort of pullback in the market, that valuations have um, troughed, uh, you know, or, or, you know, if they haven't, where do we think sort of valuations could go? Yeah, I think there's a lot of uncertainty around that. And that's another thing that's on investors' minds. Our view is that they certainly have not yet troughed. What I mean by that is valuations as of FY22 or Q123. Um, and companies have alluded to that themselves. So with a lack of large transactions uh, in the market, for external evaluators such as CBRE, JLL and Savills, there's no precedent transactions against which to gauge their models. So therefore, the evaluation process becomes more theoretical, more subjective, and then also, I would say, less reliable. Um, and then in terms of predicting where they might go, so LEG said in their FY22 presentation that they expect a H123 valuation decline of mid-single digits. We also got a hint of um, what market observers are expecting for 2023 for German real estate more broadly. So in Adler's restructuring plan, it was predicated on a 10% decline in residential prices in Germany in 2023. So you 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 there already get to see a spectrum of you know low sort of mid single digits right up to ten percent, and then if we go towards the riskier um, side of yielding assets, which would be commercial, uh, we saw Demeyer mark down the fair value of some of their assets that they had moved into assets held for sale by anything between eleven and twelve percent, 
commercial real estate right now is under more pressure than residential because the structural trends aren't quite the same. You know, for instance, with subsectors such as office, hybrid working, working from home and so on, there's more uncertainty as to whether or not those improve. And then also on the retail side as well, you know, with sort of consumer discretionary spending declining with the macro environment in general, retail is under strain and therefore uh, retail landlords are also facing greater uncertainties than their uh, residential counterparts. So with with all of this that we've we've talked about um, over the last of 15 to 20 minutes or so, I suppose if you're an investor, uh, obviously depends on sort of your risk profile as well. But if you were looking to invest and think about you know, some of the dislocation we've talked about, where would you position yourself? Well, I, I tend to agree with some of the um, sort of the opinions I've seen from the likes of Aries and so on. I think secure debt's a good place to be right now. As we've said in the, at various points in this podcast, um, you know, the suitability of unsecured debt is, is really up in the air right now for many of these companies. Um, but that being said, secured debt right now, you know, from a risk return profile, you're getting yields anywhere from 6 to 7% for better quality assets, right up to maybe low teens for, you know, maybe riskier assets. Um, in terms of the risk reward profile of that versus the large discounts you'll see on public equity, for me, the, 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 the secure debt profile stacks up better. Um, I think part of the reason for that is that though the larger investment grade peers like LEG, Venovia, and Crown City are trading at enormous discounts to book value, net tangible asset or net asset value per share. Um, I think that's more of a long-term play. It's more subject to technical factors and also it's sentiment driven. And, you know, I think you have to have more conviction in the sort of underlying um, whole value of, of portfolios, whereas opposed to with secured debt, you can pick your spots you can get better protection, you know, as we said with Oak Tree and QH, you can potentially now get collateral, which is a share pledge over the asset, which means enforcement is very easy. Um, so in terms of the overall risk reward profile, for me, secured debt is a much more attractive place to be now than equity. And alongside that, you know, companies are desperate for secured debt. now. So, you know, if, you would approve, if you're a new lender entering this space, it's a good time to enter the space because you're approaching uh, lenders that really need the capital. Um, uh, and I think I think there may still be value there in unsecured debt. You know, I think we're seeing discounted buybacks of certain bonds, but those bonds have appreciated in advance and in anticipation of those buybacks. Um, for me, it's very important to pick your spots when it comes to unsecured debt. Um, there's still a lot of outstanding unsecured debt out there with the likes of Vivian and Adler. Somebody has to hold that, you know, that debt. Somebody has to be either long that or at least just holding it. Yeah, I, th I think I'd echo that. I suppose one other caveat on some of these situations as well is where in the, the debt stack do you want to be? So the, there's this issue of temporal seniority that came up very much in terms of with Adler. You know, do you want to be at the sort of front of the maturity queue because you know that, that you at least that you hopefully get paid down from some, some of the asset sales? Or are you worried that if you're further back in the in the queue that if the business does end up going into restructuring, then you are, you know, you're going to... In, you're going to suffer uh, and i suppose also with adler we've got the the fact that the, the market has a very very different view to the company in terms of the company mm -hmm. was looking to have some runway for a managed wind down as emmett said earlier mm -hmm. uh, and that was based on par recovery but if you look at the longer dated bonds in adler they're still trading yeah. in the 30s and 40s yeah. um i think that there's a final thing i'd like to say is thanks both to emmett and Hazik for their insights uh the the report does go into a lot more detail 
on all these aspects. And for those that are interested in getting hold of the report and are not Ninefin subscribers, there is a wait list. Um, you can find the details of that on our sort of social media posts and also on our Ninefin Insights page. Uh, so please uh, you know, sign up for that. And uh, once again, I'd like to thank Emmett and Hazik for their thoughts today. Thank, thank you for much. having us, Chris. Okay, well, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks for tuning in. And please let us know if you have any feedback. You can always reach us at any time by emailing team at ninefin.com. And check in next week to hear the latest on the US markets. And in Europe, we'll be back the week after that. See you then.